Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Good morning, everybody. It's good to sing about Jesus. Amen. And it's good to sing about Jesus on Sunday morning. That's why we're here, because we have a Savior. We have a Savior who's able to save to the uttermost all who draws near to Him. And no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from His hand. That's security. You can't buy that security. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross for us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's come before the Lord and ask His help. Father God, we thank You for Your faithfulness and we thank You for Your grace and we thank You for Your goodness and Your love. Lord, as we step into the Gospel once again this morning, I just pray, Lord, that You would bring Your Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would hear what we need to hear today. Lord God, that, that we would hear a Word that penetrates into our hearts and speaks in our lives. And Lord, whatever we've come in this morning with, whether it's discouragement, or whether it's challenges, or whether it's trials, or a nagging sense of guilt, perhaps emptiness in our hearts, or just feeling like life is just crushing us. Lord, I pray that You would speak through Your Word and that we would get a vision of Jesus from this passage that would change our lives, that would strengthen the bride of Christ to be a light, a shining light in the world. And so we pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, Come now, meet with us in this moment and shine a spotlight on Jesus and a spotlight on our need and show us how He meets those needs because He is a glorious Savior. And we thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be spending a few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew. We started last week and got some help in just seeing how Jesus comes to a, a, a man in a hopeless state. He comes to a leper in need, a, a man who's been cast out. And we just need to know right from the start that Matthew, the author of this gospel, wants to get us real clear on the identity of Jesus. We can't get but one chapter into this gospel and we hear the words that we heard at Christmas from the angel to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will what? He will save his people from their sins. So Matthew wants you to know from the start, this is the one who came to save his people from their sins. He doesn't want us confused about the identity of Jesus. So we see it all through this glorious gospel. A picture of Jesus as the coming King who would bring redemption into our world and reverse the effects of the curse. And Jesus is going to talk like He's the King who's come to bring the kingdom of God into this world. So the kingdom of God breaking into a world of darkness and corruption and that's bent in all sorts of directions that are not towards God. And Jesus ushers in a new kingdom and creates a new people, a redeemed people. And that's why Matthew 4 and verse 17 can say things like, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was like, y'all, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's breaking in with me because I'm the king. And the response for men and women running in the wrong direction is to repent and turn back to, to, to God through King Jesus. So Jesus was a preacher and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And then last week we looked at that, that Jesus has powerful words that he speaks with an authority and a power like no other man. And then he has powerful works and he does things with an authority and power that no other man does. And so you see all through this gospel, as we approach chapter nine, where we're going to be today, you see things like Matthew 8, 27, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Because the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and a storm hits them and they're shook to the core and they think they're going to die. And Jesus speaks a word to the storm and it obeys him. And everybody marvels. Who could do this? He could command storms. He's the Lord of the storm. Not only can he deal with diseases like lepers and leprosy, and heal Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. But he can talk to storms and they stop and they obey him. He, he's Lord of nature. And then we get into chapter 9. And as Chad read, he can come up to a paralytic and say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Who is this man? That he can even forgive sins. And the Pharisees rightly point out who can forgive sins but God alone. Well, that's who he is. That's who he is. The one born of Mary. The one born as Savior of sinners is both fully God, fully man. He commands the storms. He delivers and cleanses lepers. And he can save us from our sins. And then we walk up to this moment where we see Jesus calling the author of this gospel. I just want you to think about that. The man who penned this gospel, Matthew, inserts himself in this gospel. It's like Rembrandt's painting, right, of the crucifixion. And you've got all the normal players in there, right? You've got, you've got Herod and you've got the soldiers and you've got the, the crowds screaming, crucify him. And then off in a little corner, Rembrandt paints himself into the picture. Because every one of us put Jesus on the cross. That's who he came to save, sinners. And Matthew wants us to know from the start that Jesus came and called him. And Jesus actually can deal with your sin and my sin. And he's able to save the most notorious of sinners. And we come 
to verse 9, and we get great help as we look at this calling of Matthew, the tax collector. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And Jesus, or, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, you remember that word? Behold, look, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is, is reorienting our thinking with the calling of Matthew. And Matthew is placing it here after we've seen the authoritative words of Jesus and the authoritative works of Jesus and His power to heal and His power to preach and His power to speak like nobody else could speak. And then he calls somebody you wouldn't think would be his disciple. He calls a man named Matthew. And that's the first thing we see. Jesus calls notorious sinners to follow him. Did you see it in verse 9? He passed on from there. He just got done forgiving the sins of a paralytic. And then when the Pharisees were tripping about it and saying, you know what? Who could, who could forgive sins but God alone? Jesus says, well, so that you know I can forgive sins, I say to the paralytic, rise. Take up your bed and go. And the man gets up. You better know he can forgive sins. And he passes on from there and he sees a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he says to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. That's a powerful calling, right? Jesus just says to him, he looks him in the eye and he says, follow me. A notorious sinner. And sometimes we just, we, we don't get the whole tax collector thing, right? We can get the IRS, but it wasn't, it wasn't just the IRS. Matthew was a tax collector and he would have been despicable to his own people. His own people hated him because he was employed by the Romans. And the Romans were the pagan government that was ruling them and occupying them. And subduing them. And introducing all sorts of paganism into Jewish communities. Rome was, had their thumb on the Jewish people. And then tax collectors would sit outside the city and they would take 
taxes from the people on all their goods they brought into the city. And in order to make a living, and a quite lucrative living, they would extort their people and they would raise the prices so that they could line their own pockets. So not only are they working for the very empire that's oppressing and lining streets with crucified Jews everywhere. Because Jesus wasn't the only Jew who got crucified. The way Rome did business is they would come into a territory and they would start killing all sorts of people so that you know the peace of Rome has come. And everybody was to submit and they would line the streets with crucified people so that everybody could look and know who's in charge. And so Matthew is working for them and he's taxing his own people. I mean, it would have been like a Jew in our day working for Hezbollah. It would have been like a Jew in Nazi Germany working for Hitler. You're going to turn against your people? And Jesus passed by and He looks at this man and He says, follow Me. It's just, it's just staggering. It's staggering that Jesus would do that. It's the last person you would think he would be calling to become one of his disciples. And that's why the Pharisees are so upset later. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so when he approaches Matthew, a man that hated, that despised, a man who loved money and would do just about anything to get more of it. I'm reminded of the famous quote of J.D. Rockefeller. This is one of the richest men living at his time. And they said, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He's a billionaire. Just a little bit more. And that was Matthew. Just a little bit more. I could just keep doing this. I know it's cut me off from everything, everybody. But I've got money. I've got security. I've got the things I crave. And Jesus says, follow me. And he calls him to leave all of that stuff behind in an instant. Maybe you can identify with Matthew. Right? Maybe there are things that you've been willing to do that you know aren't right. You've been willing to allow certain things to coexist in your life. And you know it's compromise. You know it's things God despises, but you're willing to kind of do it. It's kind of the way of the world. I'll cut corners. I'll lie. I'll cheat. I'll steal. And you know what? I'll try to do some religion too. Balance this thing out. But Jesus looks at Matthew and He says, you follow Me. You follow Me. And just instantly, 
Matthew, all that security. Matthew, a job that's providing all the stuff you need. You give that up and you follow me. You give up the self-destructive lifestyle that's providing for you materially, but making you bankrupt spiritually. Y'all feel that? Like, what's going on in your heart where you're just living like everybody else in this world? You're chasing the material stuff, the American dream, but the things of God have been drowned out. Jesus is calling us, as he called Matthew, follow me. And Matthew goes. No doubt his conscience had been bothering him. No doubt he had the nagging specter of guilt on him. No doubt he was laboring with this kind of mush going on in his soul where he's got a little bit, I'm going to try to do some good stuff to outweigh the bad. Jesus says, leave it all, follow me. And the text says that he rose and he followed Jesus. And the idea there is an ongoing sense Right? It's not just like he was like, okay, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to sign a card. I'm going to profess faith in Jesus. And I'm just going to go live like everybody else in this world. It was an ongoing discipleship. It was a continual discipleship. The verb is a present tense imperative. It's, it's keeping on, right? And Matthew knows how easy it is to have shallow, superficial religion in our world. The Pharisees built a whole system on that stuff. You look good on the outside, but inside, it's all broken. Inside, there's nothing Godward happening. And Jesus is calling disciples to himself and Matthew is following. And maybe you don't feel comfortable in your own skin today. Maybe you feel like, like Jesus can't really help me. I know we come every week to church, but Jesus can't help me. He doesn't know my family history. He doesn't know the genes running through me. He doesn't know the things that are going on in my heart, my soul, my situation. I've got to do these things just to get by. And Jesus is like, I know you. And I called Matthew to be my disciple. And he responded to the call and he rose and he followed and he cut ties with his sinful job. He cut ties with his love of money. He cut ties with Superficial religion. His religion was the dollar bill. The Roman dream. Right? They had an American dream back then, right? That's why he was selling out his people. Well, I got to get that picket fence. I 
Have you ever left your former way of life to follow Jesus? Have you ever left the stuff you were doing before to follow Jesus? Now, I'm saying you have to give up your job. You may if it's a corrupt job. But has there been a break from your past? Are you different today because of Jesus? Is there Godward affections? Is there a sense that you've got this ongoing disciple? I'm following Jesus. I mean, Matthew, it's all different now. Because he's trusted Jesus. This all implies a deep, robust trust in Jesus. He hears the call of Jesus. He hears the word of Jesus. And no doubt he heard Jesus say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew just lays it all out and says, Lord, I'm following you. And I love that. He places himself in the picture of the gospel as one needing the gospel. He's not pretending like, okay, he's running around with a halo now. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He's not calling one-hit wonders. He's not calling weekend warriors. He's calling committed day-in and day-out disciples who are willing to put Jesus before family, Jesus before friends, Jesus before popularity, Jesus before convenience. Not that any of those things are bad, but when you are supremely living for the one thing and not the other thing, or when Jesus is crowded out by all sorts of other priorities, discipleship is no longer happening. And that's why Jesus calls and He unfolds the demands of discipleship and what it means to follow Him. Matthew 16.24, we hear Jesus laying it out. And then Jesus told His disciples, if any would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I mean, Jesus is very clear here. There's a self-denial that goes on to follow Jesus. You are giving up your old life to follow Him. You are giving up sometimes conveniences. There's sacrificial love in the kingdom. And it's glorious. Like, there's joy in that. Jesus is like, you could, you could go after everything this world has and you lose your soul. And what's that get you? Nothing. You can't take it with you. Rockefeller couldn't take a penny with him. Somebody else is spending his money. Jesus says you've got to lose your life to find it. And those who've lost it for Jesus find glorious life in Jesus. He said, the devil comes to seek to rob and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I come to give life and to give it abundantly. The devil wants to rob us. And Matthew was being robbed while he was robbing people. He was being robbed of a relationship with God. He was being robbed with true, uh, of true joy. He was being robbed of peace in his heart. 
because he was pursuing stuff that doesn't satisfy. And the devil loves to do that. Jesus is calling. I'm reminded of Jim Elliott's words. Who's a famous missionary. He said, He is no, no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You gotta lose your life to find it. And of course, Jim Elliott wrote those words in his journal they found after he had been martyred for his faith. And you can go read about it in the book, The Gates of Splendor, and read how the very people he was trying to meet, reach killed him. And then years later, his wife went back and there was a revival among the Aka Indians and the gospel flourished and broke out. Because Jim Elliot was like a seed that fell into the ground and died and then sprouted up all kinds of life because of his love for Jesus. And he was willing to give what he couldn't keep to gain what he'll never lose. That's the exchange Jesus is asking his hearers when he says, follow me. Jesus calls and disciples follow. So that's the first thing we see as Jesus pursues notorious sinners and makes them disciples. The second thing we see in this passage is scandalous evangelism. There's, there's a scandal of evangelism happening. Look at verse 10. I love this. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, mm -mm. why is he eating with sinners? Why is he all up with the tax collectors? If you blinked, you probably missed it. But what is the first thing that Matthew does when he follows Jesus? What's the first thing he does? He gets a banquet together, invites all the people that he knows who happen to be tax collectors and sinners to come and spend some time with Jesus because his life has just been changed. He reaches out, grabs everybody he knows. Come in. Come check this Jesus out. He's doing evangelism. It's like the impulse of discipleship is to call other people to come meet Jesus. He's arranging people, an audience with Jesus. And what a picture of what Christianity is all about. Come see. Come and see. Come and check him out. That's why the text says, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him. It's like, what? <laughs> Jesus is going for, Jesus is hanging out with people of low reputation. Brothers and sisters, I wonder when we consider the task of evangelism, do we think of it in simple terms like just asking somebody to come have a meal with you at your house? 
just asking somebody to come to church to hear about Jesus. That was just, that was the impulse of Matthew. It's not an accident that that's the thing we see next, right? The whole house is filled. This is a banquet. This is an intentional evangelistic opportunity. And we Baptists like events, right? Well, he got real personal with it. He invited people over. Sometimes we don't do any evangelism until we get an event together. It's like, oh, we got to have this big event. And we do them like once or twice a year. And this is just every day. This is just come see. Come and see the master. Come and hear about him. Y'all, what would happen in your life if you committed to inviting somebody over once a month who didn't know Jesus? So you could pray for them. Share life with them. And it wasn't all the cleaned up unbelievers, right? The respectable unbelievers. But the people that would provoke the ire of the religious hypocrite and the righteous, right? Who weren't really all that righteous. It's like, oh, shh, shh. disciples. Hey, I know your teacher's into like hanging out with sinners. But what's up with that? It was a scandal. Is your evangelism scandalous? I don't mean, are you sinning to evangelize, right? We don't want to make this Jesus friend of sinners into, oh, well, we, we, Jesus was just like, he accepted everybody. He didn't challenge people in their sins. He didn't talk to homosexuals and say, hey, you got to repent of your homosexuality. Or he didn't talk to tax collectors and say, mm, you got to leave all that and follow me. Let's not paint a picture of Jesus that's just like putting his arms around sin He's putting his arms around sinners and saying, I can redeem you from that, but you got to turn from that. Jesus, friend of sinners, means he's a redeemer of sinners. He doesn't leave people the same way. He doesn't leave Matthew. Matthew's changed forever. He's repented. He, not, he didn't go back to the tax booth and he was like, okay, I'm going to extort people for a little bit and then just talk about some Jesus. He had left. Verse 11. And the Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw this, so they were looking. They didn't even go to that party, but they were watching. Who's going to go into the house? A little tax collector's house. We know him. Psst. Jesus, disciples. Y'all are disciples. Y'all are Galileans, right? Why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? What happens when we get a heart for evangelism? What happens when you get a heart to share the gospel is you get into those sorts of situations, right? All of a sudden, you start bringing people that the religious people actually think are of low reputation and they start coming in the doors of the church and God forbid a homosexual gets saved. Or somebody coming in living a dark lifestyle. Y'all, we, we, we want a church where we have open doors, right? To anybody who wants to come hear the gospel. But when it comes to who's truly regenerate and saved, there's a difference between membership 
and opening our doors that all might come in here, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus called out a tax collector to himself, and it was glorious. And all of a sudden, he provokes the ire of religious hypocrites. And notice what Jesus says all throughout the Gospel of Matthew later. He, he, he knows that the Pharisees have a name that they're alive, but they're really dead. That they think they're saved, but they're not saved. And they're preventing people who really want to be saved from hearing good news. They should have been a light, but they themselves are in the dark. And he says in Matthew 23, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor you allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Y'all, they were converting people into religious hypocrisy. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was so zealous. We will kill all these Christians if we need to, God. I'm really on your side. That's the challenge of the Babylonian captivity of the American church, right? That's the challenge of Pharisaical Christianity. That's the challenge of having a name that we're alive when we're really dead. That's the challenge of giving lip service to Jesus when your heart is far from Jesus. And it provoked something inside of Jesus that rebuked the Pharisees and unmasks that spiritual hypocrisy. He goes on in chapter 23 to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's being said, right, by Jesus? He's saying there's a form of spirituality. There's a form of trying to follow God that looks real good on the outside. But it has failed to redeem the heart. It failed to deal with the corruption in the Pharisee's heart. That's how the Apostle Paul, rabbi of rabbis, could be a murderer. And in one note, he's preaching the Word of God. And in another note... In the scripture, he's got everybody's coats like, go ahead and throw another stone at Stephen. And then, of course, he gets saved because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to him. So in this passage, we see a call for sinners to come and run to Jesus. We see a rebuke to the Pharisees and a scandalous kind of evangelism that provokes the ire of religious people.
And we see this natural impulse of disciples to go share Jesus. Y'all, I'm going to share one statistic to remind us of just how easy it is to slip into a kind of Christianity that doesn't evangelize. The last statistic I read on the issue of evangelism is that 95% of church-going Christians do not share the gospel. 95% of people who've been saved profess Jesus are not sharing the message. And that has to land on us because we don't want to be hearing the words of Jesus that he gives to the Pharisees because we kept the kingdom from people, right? We want to be having a culture of evangelism where it's just like Bible studies are evangelistic, like all up in our church. And, and there's, there's, there's little teams going out to neighborhoods and there's coffee shop evangelism going on and there's restaurant evangelism and there's house evangelism and there's there's sorts of things where we're like thinking in new ways like how can we open up and take the gospel to the nations for Jesus how can we see Henry County flipped on its head how can we see Oldham County flipped on its head and I'm, I'm like, think about it you got 50 people going out there sharing Jesus well that's what Jesus intended but we see in this text a great concern for the heart of the gospel and, 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 and getting to the basic reality that God is so compassionate, so loving, that he'll leave the 99 to get the one who went astray, right? There's more joy in heaven over one righteous or one sinner who get, comes to repentance than 99 righteous persons. Not that there are 99 righteous persons, right? Because the Pharisees, we're not righteous. But the one sinner who came to Jesus and repented, it's like a party going on in heaven. And that's beautiful. So that's the last thing we're going to see is the heart of the gospel. Jesus has to respond to the Pharisees and help them see they're missing the heart of the gospel. Look at it in verse 12. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now y'all remember that little whispering. The Pharisees like, hey, Jesus seems to be really into hanging out with sinners. He seems to be really throwing his arms around evil people. And Jesus is going to help them understand. Like, Y'all would say that you're doctors, but you don't treat any sick patients. Y'all would say that you're physicians of the soul, but you don't help anybody in need. The people who are really sick go to a doctor. The people who think they're well don't go to a doctor. And listen, the people who think they're well and really know they're sick, what happens? They don't go to a doctor till it's too late. You see, the Pharisees needed the great physician. And Jesus is... Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, you could read that and think, Jesus is saying... Well, y'all, you guys are fine. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm just going to go to the sick people. You guys are righteous. You're great. 
Oh, he's rebuking them. You who have the law, you who pride yourself in the law, you're giving no medicine to sick people. You want to kind of shot call from the back and be like, okay, we want, we want people to be saved, but we'll do it from back here, y'all. Let us know how it goes. After all, I might get defiled. There was a sense in which they missed the heart of the gospel. Jesus runs towards sinners in need with arms open to rescue. And you need to know that if you need rescue today. Maybe you're in here today. You need rescue. You know you're in the dark. You know you, know, you, do, you don't know God. You know you're lost. There's a nagging sense of guilt. There's a sense that, that you're sick and you're aware of it. Or maybe you're coming to awareness of it. Maybe you thought you were good all this time. You've been going to church your whole life. But you don't know Jesus. You don't even know you're sick. And you're starting to awaken to it. And before that disease spreads to everywhere, you're starting to realize, I need Jesus. Jesus is a great physician. And he gives the Pharisees a scathing rebuke. He's like, hey, go learn what this means. Y'all believe in the Bible and stuff. Like, go check the Bible out. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is calling them back to the Bible. And beloved, we need to be called back to the Bible. We need to be called back to New Testament Christianity. We need to be called to follow Jesus. And that means for the, 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 those who name the name of Jesus, who've been born again, we take the gospel to the nations. We love to give medicine to the sick. I can remember when I first got saved and there was just something inside me that, that I just wanted to invite all sorts of people to Bible study, you know, and pretty soon we had kind of a little motley crew Bible study, you know, like all these like hardened Marines and that, that were out partying on the weekends and all of a sudden they're showing up to Bible studies and stuff like that. And, and I remember talking to an unbeliever and they labeled this charge like, it seems like Christianity just attracts like ugly people, just attracts like messed up people who know they're messed up. And I was like, yes, <laughs> ultimately, like you got to know you're messed up before you're going to seek salvation. And the love of God would compel the people of God to take the message of God to sick people. And the Pharisees had missed all of that and they're keeping people from the kingdom and they're twice the sons of hell because of it, Jesus says. What would Jesus say to you today about your heart for the gospel? Let's not hide behind demographics let's not hide behind our age let's not hide behind things that make it very convenient to not share jesus with the lost world and let's just really be honest lay your heart out before the lord and just say what's keeping me from sharing this message with the world
Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The prophet Isaiah said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What is the great physician all about? He's all about taking stains and removing them from the soul. And some of you need that. Some of you have great stains that you can't get rid of. And you're medicating. And you're looking at pornography. And you're doing all sorts of things that dishonor God trying to numb yourself. And you need Jesus in your life. But you've got to get honest before God. You've got to know you're sick and come to Jesus in your great need. And what the Pharisees missed, you must embrace that Jesus is a friend of sinners because He's coming and seeking and saving that which is lost. And as the prophet Hosea said in Hosea 6.6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The prophet of old rebuked Israel because they practiced a hollow religion and went through all the rituals with none of the reality. They had no love for God and no love for others and no love for each other. And ultimately, Jesus says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's time to put our rituals away. It's time to put our traditions aside and run to Jesus with real faith. And as Christians, to embrace the call to take the love of Jesus into darkness. To take the love of Jesus into the griminess of our fallen world. To take the name of Jesus and bring it to our community. And to take a resolve in our soul if we're Christians. To go beyond perhaps giving lip service to missions and evangelism when deep in our hearts we do not want to bring the message to a needy world. Perhaps you're in here and you need Jesus. Today could be the day that you meet the one who embraced a crooked leper, made him clean. The one who came to a tax collector who was just alienated and ostracized. Everybody hated him. And he was just trying to make a buck and get by. His soul was crooked and perverse, but Jesus took him in, transformed him. If that's you today, today's the day to come to Jesus. Today's the day to hear Jesus' call. He didn't come for those who are well. He came for people who are sick. He didn't come for those who think they're righteous. He came for sinners who know their need.
Come to Him. Trust Him. Follow the way of Matthew, the way of discipleship, the way of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for this opportunity. And I pray, God, that as we have been challenged, as we have been encouraged, as we've been pricked, as we've been prodded by the Word of God. Lord, this is the Word of God. It it does surgery in the soul. It gives us what we need. It challenges us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who, who love to submit to the Word of God. And even when it has a hard word, that we would step out in faith. And even when it has a challenging word, that we would open up our homes, O God, to bring in people who need Jesus. And even when it has a word that might rebuke hypocrisy within, that we would hear the calling of the shepherd who's able to deal in the heart of Nicodemus and make him a disciple, who's able to deal in the heart of Matthew and cleanse his crooked ways. And Father, if there are some here today like that, I pray that they would follow You now. I pray that they would take this song that we're about to sing. And as the worship team even comes up now, that You would be summoning Lord Jesus some to trust You. And that they would get out of their seats and just come during this song. Come and receive the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Come receive forgiveness of sins. Come receive hope. Come receive healing. Come receive renewal. But there must be an honest confession of need before God. And so, Father, I pray that You would give faith and courage to some to hear the call of Jesus and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.